Well, it's pretty cool that, uh, you know, the church will let some regular Joe like me up here. Um, I, I'm loving this place. It's nice to have a, oh, this is nice and sturdy, good sturdy pulpit. Uh, it's nice to have a church we can call home. That hasn't been the case for some time. We go to church and don't connect and things and COVID, you know, that that definitely not manufactured thing. Anyways, let's move on. Um, I love it because, and I, I, I just want to remind you guys that this is really special because uh, as a church, we're willing to hear from everyone. It's not just, you know, the Brett show or the Brent show or the Dave show or the whoever show, which is really cool. It reminds me of, uh, you know, the Paul's letter to the Corinthians. You know, there was there's evidence that the whole congregation was involved, or all the people were involved. So much so that he's like, guys, just, just, just do it in order. Just like, give people some space, okay? And you know there was a tambourine lady in the back. I mean, you know that that was the case. He didn't want to call it out, because she made the best food probably for the, I don't know. Um, but I do want to say, we as a church need to protect our hearts from elevating what happens at the pulpit over our real purpose in, in the world. Like, like one way to think about this is this is like the halftime huddle, you know. Uh, if, if any of you are familiar with sports ball, there's this little ball that people run around with and they throw it in the hoop or something like that. But anyways, at the middle of the game, people, you know, they huddle up and then they go back out and they play the game. Um, yeah, sports ball is my favorite sport. Um, <laughs> I have a lot of notes, so I'll be looking down at my phone, also playing games a little bit uh, while we do this. Uh, but this message is just, you know, represents what I'm walking out in my life and what I want to share with you guys. I feel led to talk about uh, just how good God really is. Um, and I think that's one of the most important things today because there's a lot of content and people out there who are partnering with the enemy to try to question the nature of God, the origins of God, whether or not God actually exists, and if he does exist, is he actually good? So uh, there's three easy payments or three easy points that I want to come up with. Oh, look, it's not that big. Hopefully you can see it. Is that God is good, and he didn't just save you halfway. He did the whole thing. Um, and the next point is that if you believe in Jesus, he has already set you free. Regardless of your experience, regardless of your quote-unquote struggles, you are set free. Um, and then the last point is that our job, our only job in this incredible thing is to discover and believe. And in doing so, we'll bring the reality of our actual salvation and our, the reality of our freedom into our daily life. So, let's get into it. When I first started following Jesus, uh, I was saved out of, um, you know, some icky stuff. And uh, a lot of that stuff just dropped off in one amazing moment of encounter with the Lord. But it seemed like there were other things that I continued to struggle with. 
anxiety, especially this idea of having to please God, wanting to make sure that I was doing the right thing. And I lived in this sort of anxious belief that I had to do my part in prayer and fasting and rituals and uh, being a part of all these things. And now, while I never would have said that, that was what was happening. Um, And I lived in this place of like um, needing to feel like I had to keep myself holy. Like, like he did all he did he did you know his job. Now I got to do mine. Employee relationship. I led Bible studies. I prayed for people everywhere I went. Probably got annoying to some people. Um, but behind the scenes, it was always this battle between the flesh and the spirit. And you know, it, there's there's this one moment that happened in my life that kind of uh, uh, distills where I was at and. Uh, So I lived in this house where it was called a community house. So we would have like Friday night parties where we'd invite everybody over in the uh, community to have pancakes or chili or whatever, and we'd minister to them. Most of the time, those people were drunk or high or whatever, but that didn't matter because God would show up, right? Because he, he, that never stops him. But I remember I was, I was just so beat down in my Christian walk and feeling like, I was not measuring up to his standard. Um, and I left, I left the, the area. I had cooked some amazing chili. It's, it was really good chili, by the way. But I was fasting, right? And, you know, when I was fasting, when I was learning about fasting, I would get to about 3 o'clock, and I was I'm just the war. Like, there must have been Satan himself trying to get me to eat. Um, and I would, I would end up breaking the fast and eating some college kid food, like a dry corn tortilla with some peanut butter on it or something. <laughs> like, you want to talk about concrete, like, I think that was the original concrete was uh, corn tortillas, dry corn tortillas. And I remember at this moment just being so beat down that uh, I left where everybody was hanging out and I just went inside to the house and I just sat on this chair and I, you know, I just hung my head just feeling this depression. And, and I remember the Lord took me into this vision where I'm still in the chair, but I can also see myself like standing in front of myself. Anyway, hopefully that makes sense. And there's all these like black hooded, cloaked specter things coming at me from all sides. The only, the only way I can describe these things is that If you watch the Harry Potter movie, The Dementors, there's like raggedy black things. If you haven't, you know, you're not missing that much. Um, But they're they're pretty ugly looking. And, you know, they're speaking and whispering all sorts of horrifying things, right? And I'm up there in front of myself pushing them away and, you know, yelling at them to get back. And this goes on for a while, and I'm not making any headway. Then I see movement to my right out of my my peripheral Vision, vision, I guess. Um, and there's a guy with a beard sitting next to me. And I instantly know that it's Jesus. And he's not in his glorified body. He's just in his regular old, you know, regular body, I guess. Uh, I don't really know how that works. And he's shaking his head, like with a smirk on his face. And, uh, and, then, and he goes to stand up. Like, he doesn't even make it out of the out of the ottoman that was sitting next to me, like a college ottoman, like faded, holes in it, like 
really gross furniture from a, a guy's house. Like, it's just all guys that live there. It's a nasty ottoman. Um, anyway, he sat on it, so it wasn't, he, didn't, he wasn't worried about it. Um, he goes to stand up, and all of these, like, you know, I think they were demons. Look at him. See him about to stand up. He didn't even stand up, and they, you know, phased through the room, and they got out of there as fast as they could. And then he leaned back to me, and he started whispering into my ear. And I don't know what he said. As to this day, I don't know what he said. But it was like I melted. And all I understood was that I was enough for him. Um, you see, God was gracious. And he worked through my messed up theology. And he does it for all of us, you know. Uh, he, he worked through this, this theology that I had been taught, that I had believed that, you know, I had to do a whole bunch of this stuff. And while, you know, there are things that we do, there are things that we see in our life, that what I'm trying to, what I'm trying to you know, emphasize to you is, is how do we get there? So last week, Birdie, Birdie spoke on identity. I was told to point at you. I was told. I know, I know. I'm just messing with you. Yeah, I know. Um, uh, you're going to pay me for that one, right? Okay, cool. Uh, <laughs> uh, so she spoke on this identity, and, and she specifically said she was talking about the end state. And I think I'm here to talk a little bit more about the process. Okay. So um, anyway, go, go watch hers. It's... It's, it's really good. Um, yeah. So, so today I want, I want to talk to you guys about this. Um, part of my walk with God has been just unraveling these, these lies, you know. And I think maybe a lot of us are similar. Like everyone in this room, my purpose on the earth is to show people who they are in the kingdom of God, um, whether or not they believe. There are some people that are pre-Christian, right? And you can see them for who God sees them. And if, they're, if they make that choice, those things become effective in their life. Um, man, I'm going a lot slower than I thought I would. Um, Let's, let's just consider all the people that, that lived before Jesus came, right? Um, as evidenced by the massive crowds that were hanging out with John the Baptist, there was hunger. There was people that wanted to know God. There was people that wanted to be right with God. And uh, there were a lot of untold regular Joes or Josephs, maybe, back in that day, who... Uh, who wanted to be right with the Lord. I think that for every person we know about in the Bible, like Isaiah and, and David and Solomon and all these other folks, that we kind of attribute Christ, them having faith in Christ. I think there's untold sums of others that were around them that also believed, but they, they weren't featured. We'll, we'll know about what they did later, I think. Humans were crying out to be back with the Lord, and Jesus addresses this, I think, to this crowd, these crowds of people that are hungering after him. In Matthew 7, 9, he says, uh, um, 
Is there anyone among you, if your child asks for bread, will give him a stone? And what I've seen in the Bible is whenever the Lord is talking about um, a father, he's also talking about the father, right? And so I'm just here to, to say, like, when, when we as humanity were crying out for salvation, he didn't just give us, you know, a halfway deal. He didn't just give us half, half, the, half the thing, and, and then we have to finish the rest, right? He didn't give us a stone. Unless you're Andrew, who sucks on these mineral stones, none of us can eat a stone, right? Unless you're some kind of hippie like Andrew is. Um, Ask him about it later. Maybe he'll give you a mineral stone to lick. It's all about the salt. Uh, we are children crying out for bread. And uh, God has given us something amazing. So let's go to Romans 5:17. I'm going to read it from over here. Um. If because of the one man's trespass, death reigned through that one, much more surely will those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So, like, I think we as the church, or I specifically, because this is, you know, I'm just sharing from my heart. I had more faith in sin than I did in the Lord, you know, in, in, in this this thing that was the most important event in human history. Like, I don't know if the Lord's going to make the universe, do all this stuff, and then have this be sort of like 99%, you know? I, th I think he set the thing up the whole way. Jesus is, is, is he's greater than death. This, this law of sin and death is, is less powerful than what Jesus has done in your life. Like, this struggle against sin... The struggle against righteousness, trying to be holy. Like that all is, is real, right? That's all there. But I want to focus in on like how, how do you actually do it? And I think this anxious, following the Lord in this anxious way, trying to please him is not the way. I think that when we get to this place of really believing what he said, we operate or we live our life more in this bliss of enjoying our salvation than in a place of just trying to keep it. Okay. Um, in John 8, uh, 10 through 11, I will read it from here just to make you guys, get you guys on your toes. This is the NRSV, by the way, the best translation. <laughs> Jesus straightened up and said to her. So th what's happening here is this lady was caught in adultery. She's out somewhere, and these people are going to stone her. She's freaking out. Those guys are freaking out. I imagine there's a lot of yelling. Jesus straightened up because he was, he was doodling in the sand and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, sir. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go your way, and from now on, don't sin. What's fascinating about this to me is that Jesus seemingly normalized everyone's sin. He used the fact that these guys, yeah, you're sinners too. Come on, give her a break, right? But then he tells her, yeah, don't sin anymore. 
Like, that's fascinating to me. And if, if verse 12 wasn't there, this would be very weird. But he follows it up by saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And I think for a long time in my Christian walk, I saw that as a command and not a promise. God's power to set us free from sin is stronger than our flesh, our power to sin. And, and, and by believing that, it becomes manifest in our life. Um, I can prove it to you. I have evidence. I'll prove it to you. I'll prove to you that there are two realities. There's a reality of your life here on earth, and there's a greater reality of who you really are. Hebrews 10, 14 says, For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. Now note, if you're reading the NIV or ESV, obviously lesser translations than my favorite, Stephen, uh, they throw this word being sanctified in there, which I don't understand why. I'm not a Hebrew scholar or a Greek scholar actually for this. But it's the same verb tense, word and verb tense, hagiazo, as the Lord's Prayer. And we would never say that God's name is being sanctified, right? So, I mean, I didn't think of that on my own, uh, by the way. <laughs> um, in Ephesians, the next verse, Ephesians 3 or 2, even when we were dead in dead through our trespasses. He made us alive to get together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in heavenly places in Jesus Christ. I used to preach about this as if by faith we're pulling down this reality, right? Because like I'm not actually there right now, right? I mean, what is Paul talking about? Like I'm, I'm standing in front of you on this, like I don't know if this is pine or like what kind of woods this is, but I'm standing next to this pulpit. Sorry about the gum. But what's true about me is that I am perfect. I am sanctified, not because of anything I've done. And so are you, if you believe. And I'm seated in heavenly places. I'm actually sitting in the middle between the Father and Jesus. <laughs> That's kind of cool. Maybe we're playing like jello, you know, like where you play like in the car. Where you're in the middle and everyone's like, when you turn, you're getting slammed. In. Okay, no, no one knows that? Okay. Man, what's wrong with you kids these days? Um, Zechariah 3 says a bunch of stuff, but it ends with, I will remove the sin of this land in a single day. Actually, I want to read the whole thing. Now listen, Joshua, high priest, you and your colleagues who sit before you, for they are an omen of things to come. I'm going to bring my servant the branch. How many of you know that's Jesus? For on the stone that I have set before Joshua, on a single stone with seven facets, I don't know what that means, I will engrave its inscription, says the Lord of hosts. I will remove the guilt of this land in a single day. On that day, says the Lord of hosts, you shall invite each other to come under your vine and fig tree. I don't have a vine or fig tree, but I think it probably means like a lot of things. But the point here is that on a single day, and there's other places that talk about this epic day 
when the guilt and the sin is, is gone, right? Isaiah 54, 9 says, This is like the days of Noah to me, just as I swore that the waters of Noah would never go again on the earth. So I have sworn that I will not be angry with you and I will not rebuke you. Colossians says, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. And I don't think that, that I've reached the end of these verses because this is, I think, the point. So if you are believing like I was and, 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 and have in, in, in my life, sorry about the gum again, these theological frameworks that pit Satan against God as some epic struggle or, or Holy Spirit against flesh. And, and I see it in our language. I see it in my language sometimes. That, that's false. Because you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. And any disconnect that you see, in my opinion, is the work of discovery and believing it actually believing it like James talks about you know you essentially summarizing like your faith will be evident in your behavior right if I continually declare over myself that I'm a sinner if I continually normalize struggle and sin because of my theological framework that's probably where I'll stay But if I continue to declare the truth over myself and believe in that higher reality, I'll experience it. And I think that the Lord brings us sometimes to these breaking points. This wasn't on my notes, but here we go. I remember I'm, I'm a missionary in Mexico. And I've been praying for people and seeing nothing. And I saw more stuff happening on my college campus than I did in in Mexico. And I remember I'm literally sitting on the side of the road. Cars are passing by. It's a billion degrees outside. And uh, I had a huge beard, which made my face hot. Um, And I said, Lord, nothing is happening. And he said, so are you going to give up? And I said, no. And the next person I prayed for was healed. So he, he takes you to these breaking points. I want to tell you another story. The story of a young man named Valentin. So when I lived in Mexico, I had the privilege of meeting this guy named Valentin. Um, I mean, that's the crappy gringo translation of his name. Um, so I'm sitting in this, this, this house of this family that was a part of the church. And this young man just comes bolting through the door, crying, unconsolable, freaking out. Because he had a hit on him. The drug cartel was going to kill him. And the drug cartel will just kill you. They will just kill you. And they do a lot of worse things. And he had given, he had made some covenant with a demon called the Santa Muerte. um, Which is a pervasive, disgusting perversion of a lot of things that lives down there. Um, And this young man came into this house. I don't know how he knew about us or whatever, but he came in and he was just freaking out. Uh, And we we began to pray for him. And out of nowhere, the Lord gave me a scripture in the Psalms. And I'm not not normally a very confrontational person, as you may know. Sort of just chill and let things happen. 
But I got on his face, and it was like I was speaking these words into him. And from that day, I never called. I got to walk with him after this experience for about a year. Um, I never called him by his name. I called him Nuevo, which means new. Because he was a soldier. He had to, unfortunately, kill a lot of people in his days. He started working with the drug cartel. He started doing things for them. He fell short somehow. And he turned to Satan to help him get out of his hole. And when he came in that room, he didn't believe that he could be saved. He thought he was going to physically die. And he also thought, you know, because he had been taught, most people in Mexico are taught a lot about, you know, Catholicism and, and, and heaven and hell. He thought that there was no way for his soul to be saved. And in one powerful moment, the Lord changed his entire life. And even though, and it's, we were at that thing uh, the embers, and, and someone said something that youths that have never bowed their knee to Baal. My response is like, so what if you have? Like, he's more powerful to take that stuff off of you. There's no, and I'm not making fun of generational curse ministry, whatever you guys do, whatever you want to do. But he, that all of that was cut off. It was gone. And I, and, and I saw his whole face change, like the color of his face changed. He was a dark mess when he came in. And you see pictures of him from a soldier, and you see just murder in his eyes. And you look at him now, and you see love in his eyes. He has kids now. He's married. He's doing amazing. Last time I checked, which was a while ago. And that, that's, a, that's an extreme scenario. Maybe none of us have, like, you know, tried to go to the devil and actually make a pact. But none of that matters. God is more powerful in you to save you, to break lies off you than, you than than you can even imagine. Regardless of your experience, you have already been set free. The difference is, it's like, will I, will I believe it? Will I incorporate that into my life? Okay, now the fun one. Wait, am I doing good on time? What time is it? Okay, good. Our work in salvation is to remember to discover, and to believe. And I think that's the way we bring his reality into our reality. Fast forward many years after this, this experience with God when he broke these demons off me. I'm, I'm in Mexico again, and I'm uh, doing a lot of fasting. I'm, doing, I'm seeing a lot of amazing things. And the Lord speaks to me and he says, hey, I want you not to fast. I want you to just chill. Have a good day today. I'm like, what? I got this revival meeting coming up. I got to prepare myself. Which is evidence that I still had remnants of these beliefs that I, I know there's nothing wrong with preparation. There's nothing wrong with that. But it was my specific view of it that was the problem. Maybe y'all don't have that view because I'm not going to put that on you because you don't have to have that view. But I did. And up until this point, I've never seen anything like this. I intentionally didn't fast. I intentionally just, you know, hung out. Didn't act spiritual or whatever. And that day, we went to this place called Acuna, Ciudad Acuna, which is a little bit... I mean, the places that I was in Mexico, in Mexico are only a couple hours from here. So you can go ask these people if you want to. We're going to check in. 
But there's this little girl. Her arm was shriveled up. She could, hadn't, hadn't moved her arm her whole life. And me and these, these other ministers had this time of worship with this church that was going through a ton of stuff. I mean, there was a bunch of stuff happening in that church. Um, and that little girl moved her arm. She waved her arm. Her arm was completely healed. And I had never seen anything like that. And the, the church service ended with just this incredible, everyone's in a circle holding hands and like prophesying over each other. It was, it was wild. It was fun. One of these days we'll get there. Um, but what, what I'm trying to say is that it wasn't my spiritualness, right? It was me deciding, okay, I'm going to enjoy the bliss of my salvation. Right, like, I hope this is encouraging to you because I want us all to walk in just bliss, right? Bliss of our salvation. Second Peter one three says, it says, okay, did I skip some? Sorry. Um, His divine power has given us everything needed for life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Knowledge then must play a role in like what's happening here. Um, Romans 6.11 says, this is my favorite verse in the whole Bible. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So, I mean... This is probably pretty basic stuff for most of you. So, you know, I'm preaching to myself. But I think this is the most important thing we can do as Christians. If you want to overcome addiction, you're dead to sin. If you want to overcome lust, young man, you're dead to sin. If you want to overcome uh, depression, you're dead to sin. If you want to overcome, you know, feelings of guilt about your past, you're dead to sin. If you want to overcome Anything in your life, you're dead to sin. When this becomes true in your reality, when, it, when, when you really believe it, I mean, I have firsthand experience and I have a book that, you know, seems to indicate that you'll experience it. And it's been times in my life where I have forgotten that, where I've gone back to, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. You're already filled. Lord, give me... <laughs> strength, you, I gave you all of it, you know. Lord, give me more of your spirit. I gave it to you without measure. It's literally at the infinity symbol. Um, there's got to be some participation, right? But my argument today is that the participation that we have with the Lord is to just believe what he said. I mean, and, and, and uh, you know, I think this has to be this way because it has to be simple, right? Like, go to Timbuktu, Africa. That's a, I guess it's a real place. They can't choose from the NRSV, the ESV, the Shambhala translation, whatever it is. Like, it's got to be simple, right? It's got to be super simple. Like, you shouldn't have to go into the Greek and the Hebrew to figure this out, right? Like, thank the Lord that we have that. He can... Add these layers. But it's got to be super simple. Like, believe this about yourself. Yeah. Bam. Like, and I mean, it's, it's super simple. And, I, and I, I, I'm not going to say that it's going to take you your whole life to figure it out. Because that, I don't see that in the Word. 
But I will say that, you know, God can give you moments of divine extra faith or something. And I'm praying for that for every single one of us. Like, never put the cap on that. At the same time, like, do whatever you can. I'm wrapping up. Whatever you can to remember that you are dead to sin. Like, tattoo it on your arm. I mean, I don't have tattoos. It's invisible ink. Let's see. Um, record your prophecies. I mean, um, all right, back to the notes. Uh, Colossians 2.6, what does it say? As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Oh, I have it right here. Some translations, benefiting from multiple translations, say, in the same manner that you received the Lord Jesus. And I mean, you know, the, in Galatians 3, he says, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Is before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly, publicly exhibited as crucified. The only thing I want to learn from you is this. Did you receive the Spirit by doing the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish, having started with the Spirit, are you ending with the flesh? I mean, I built new laws for myself after Christ. I built new frameworks through how I could please God, which I think discounted God's salvation in me, right? And as I've been realizing that's not the truth, I've been seeing greater and greater victory in areas of my life. And when I forget this, I already said this, I see the opposite of victory, right? When I, when I fall back into these frameworks, if I fall back into these frameworks, if I begin to have a, you know, deceiving, poor spirituality, right? Meaning like, you know, I'm so weak, I'm such a wretch, I'm such a sinner, you know, I'll never know how much it costs to see my sin upon, you know, all that stuff. Like, that's when I lose ground, like, in my life. I hope this is helpful for you. All right, so the other day, Rachel and I were hanging out. One thing we like to do is we like to find the funny Instagram reels. Those are funny. I wish someone would make an app that's just the funny ones. Because there's a lot of them that's like, Where's the funny ones? All the animal ones are funny. I like the ones with like the raccoon has got a voiceover. Anyway, she found this IQ test. It's just three question IQ test. So what I do for work is I do crypto stuff, right? Lots of mathematics, lots of logic, lots of complicated things. And I would consider myself to be given, you know, a gift to like handle that stuff, right? That's my, my one of my talents, right? I've been doing it for almost 15 years, and uh, I've done some cool things. Thank you, Lord. He's, he helps me solve problems, right? So she has this three-question IQ test. She shows it to me. I answer it really quickly. I'm like, I got this. I got every question wrong. She got every question right. That affected me. Obviously, I considered myself to be a little bit above that IQ test. But it's funny how one three-question test from Instagram of all places. Like you can ask her. 
I took our little jankety 30-year-old golf cart, went down into our property, and I just sat on a swing for a while. I'm like, Lord, why do I care? <laughs> no. He's like, did that three-question test invalidate 15 years of you solving problems with me? Did that one time that you gave in to lust invalidate what you, who you really are? No. If that happens, just like in 1 John, I don't have 1 John on there, I don't think. If that happens, thank the Lord you, you never have to experience it again. Because that's the promises that you can hold on to, right? Now, you know, obviously you have to make things right if you damage things, whatever you do. One uh, fun thing from that Brent showed me is this passage in James, James 1.24. Uh, for if any are hearers of the word and not doers, they are like those who look in themselves in a mirror. For they look at themselves and on going away, they immediately forget what they were like. You know, the story of the Israelites is like about them forgetting. Like, I mean, if I can summarize the Israelites in one word, it's like they forgot. Um, I've been in that same boat several times. One, uh, some old missionaries that I, you know, were mentors of mine, as they're smoking their 12 packs of cigarettes. It's this amazing person. I wish you could all meet him. Um, he said, I've forgotten more about God than you have learned. <laughs> I mean, he meant it as a joke. Don't, don't judge him. Um, as I look back at periods of my life, I see times of just, just bliss and communion with the Lord. And I see times that I'm looking back at the data, I'm analyzing the charts, I look, yep, there's where I forgot. There's where I forgot who I was. And then you can see as the, as the curve goes down. Down, bad, up, good. Um, in the Old Testament, you know, God tells the Israelites, he's like, Write it down. Tell your children. Have your children bind it on their hands. Have, have, have any of you guys seen those cords that the little Jewish boys wrap around their arms? What is that called? Nobody knows? I don't know. The chutzpah. I don't know. Um, sorry if that's disrespectful. Um, I think the Holy Spirit is continually trying to help us remember. And I just want to offer you a few helpful tips uh, these are free. You want the, the, the premium ones, you can pay me later. Um, the first tip is to guard your history with God. Make that important, you know. Like you get a prophetic word, even if it's from like the weirdo in church, write it down. You never know. Journaling, your prayers. If you can all pray with me that I'll remember the password to one of my prophecy systems. I've lost that password and there's so much history in there that I need to unlock somehow. I'm going to get it one day. Um, remind yourself. That's, I think that's what strengthening yourself in the Lord is, is just remind yourself what his covenant has done for you. All right. That's all. <laughs>